Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the fourth and final episode of the Rocky Hill Country Day School's Deckhands Radio Theater Podcast. In today's episode, we have a bit of a special treat, a lesser-known work by popular author Roald Dahl. This, however, is not a children's story, so some discretion is advised. This original adaptation is brought to you by Isabel and Deidre, who also directed the piece. Without further ado, here is Lamb to the Slaughter. Enjoy. The directors and actors do not condone or excuse the beliefs of this story's original writer, Roald Dahl. Producing the story through a modern lens allows us to poke fun at the zeitgeist of the average 1950s suburb. The room is warm and clean. The curtains drawn, the two table lamps alight, hers and the one by the empty chair opposite. On the sideboard behind her, two tall glasses, soda water, whiskey, fresh ice cubes in the thermos bucket. Mary Maloney was waiting for her husband to come home from work. Now and again, she would glance up at the clock, but without anxiety, merely to please herself with the thought that each minute gone by made it nearer the time when he would come. When the clock said 10 minutes to five, she began to listen. And a few moments later, punctually as always, she heard the tires on the gravel outside and the car door slamming. Steps passing the window, the key turning in the lock. She laid aside her sewing, stood up and went forward to kiss him as he came in. Hello, darling. Hello. She took his coat and hung it in the closet. Then she made the drinks, a strongish one for him, a weak one for herself. And soon she was back in her chair with the sewing. And he was in the other opposite, holding the tall glass with both his hands rocking it so that the ice tinkled against the side. For her, this was always a blissful time of day. She knew he didn't want to speak much until the first drink was finished, and she, on her side, was content to sit quietly, enjoying his company after the long hours alone in the house. Tired, darling? Yes, I'm tired. As he spoke, he did an unusual thing. He lifted his glass and drained it in one swallow, although there was still half of it, at least half of it, left. She wasn't really watching him, but she knew what he had done because she heard the ice cubes falling back against the bottom of the empty glass. He paused for a moment, leaning forward in his chair. Then he got up and went slowly over to fetch himself another. I'll get it. Sit down. When he came back, she noticed that the new drink was dark amber with a quantity of whiskey in it. I think the shame that when a policeman gets to be as senior as you, they keep him walking about his feet all day long. Darling, would you like me to get you some cheese? I, ha I haven't made any supper because it's, it's Thursday. No. If you're too tired to eat out, it's still not too late. There's plenty of meat and stuff in the freezer and you can have it right here and not even move out of your chair. I don't want it. She moved uneasily in her chair. But you have to have supper, dear. I can easily fix you something. I'd like to do it. You can have lamb, anything you want. Everything's in the freezer. Forget it. But darling, you must eat. I'll fix it anyway, then you can have it or not. 
just as you'd like. Sit down, just for a minute, sit down. It wasn't until then that she began to get frightened. Go on, sit down. She lowered herself slowly back into the chair, watching him all the time with those large, bewildered eyes. He had finished the second drink and was now staring down into the glass, frowning. Listen, I've got something to tell you. What is it, darling? What's the matter? He had now become absolutely motionless, and he kept his head down so that the light from the lamp beside him fell across the upper part of his face, leaving the chin and mouth in shadow. She noticed there was a little muscle moving near the corner of his left eye. This is going to be a bit of a shock to you, I'm afraid. But I've thought about it a good deal, and I've decided the only thing to do is to tell you right away. I hope you won't blame me too much. And he told her. It didn't take long, four or five minutes at most, and she sat very still throughout it all, watching him with a kind of dazed horror as he went further and further away from her with each word. So there it is. And I know it's kind of a bad time to be telling you, but there simply wasn't any other way. Of course, I'll give you money and see her looked after, but there needn't really be any fuss. I hope not anyway. It wouldn't be very good for my job. Her first instinct was to not believe any of it, to reject it all. It occurred to her that perhaps he hadn't even spoken that she herself had imagined the whole thing. Maybe if she went about her business and acted as though she hadn't been listening, then later, when she sort of woke up again, she might find none of it had ever happened. I'll get the supper. When she walked across the room, she couldn't feel her feet touching the floor. She couldn't feel anything at all, except a slight nausea and a desire to vomit. Everything was automatic now. Down the steps to the cellar, the light switch, the deep freeze, the hand inside the cabinet taking hold the first object it meant. She lifted it out and looked at it. It was wrapped in paper, so she took off the paper and looked at it again. A leg of lamb. All right, then, they would have lamb for supper. She carried it upstairs, holding the thin bone end with both of her hands. And as she went through the living room, she saw him standing over there by the window, with his back to her, and she stopped. Oh, for God's sake. He said, hearing her but not turning round. Don't make supper for me, I'm going out. And at that point, Mary Maloney simply walked up behind him and without any pause, she swung the big frozen leg of lamb high in the air and brought it down as hard as she could on the back of his head. She might just as well have hit him with a steel club. She stepped back a pace, waiting. And the funny thing was that he remained standing there for at least four or five seconds, gently swaying. And he crashed to the carpet. The violence of the crash, the noise, the small table overturning, helped bring her out of the shock. She came out slowly, feeling cold and surprised. And she stood there for a while, blinking at the body, still holding the ridiculous piece of meat tight with both hands. All right. So I've killed him. It was extraordinary now how clear her mind became all of a sudden. She began thinking very fast. As the wife of a detective, she knew quite well what the penalty would be. That was fine. 
It made no difference to her. In fact, it would be a relief. On the other hand, what about the child? What were the laws about murderers with unborn children? Did they kill them, both mother and child? Or did they wait until the 10th month? What did they do? Mary Maloney didn't know. And she certainly wasn't prepared to take a chance. She carried the meat into the kitchen, placed it in a pan, turned the oven on high and shoved it inside. Then she washed her hands and ran upstairs to the bedroom. She sat down before the mirror, tidied her hair and touched up her lips and face. She tried a smile. It came out rather peculiar. She tried again. Hello, Sam. She said brightly aloud. The voice sounded peculiar too. I want some potatoes, please, Sam, yes. And I think a can of peas. That was good. Both the smile and the voice were coming along better now. She rehearsed it several times more. Then she ran downstairs, took her coat, went out the back door, down to the garden, and into the... It wasn't six o'clock, and yet the lights were still on in the grocery shop. Hello, Sam. Well, good evening, Mrs. Maloney. How are you? I want some potatoes, please, Sam, yes, and I think a can of peas. Patrick's decided he's tired and doesn't want to eat out tonight. We usually go out on Thursdays, you know, but he's caught me without any vegetables in the house. Uh, then how about meat, Mrs. Maloney? No, I've got meat, thanks. I got a nice leg of lamb from the freezer. Oh. I don't much like cooking it frozen, Sam, but I think I'll take a chance on it this time. You think it'll be all right? Personally, I don't think it, believe it makes any difference. You want these Idaho potatoes? Oh, yes, that'll be lovely. Two of those. Uh, anything else? Uh, how about afterwards? What are you going to give him afterwards? Well, what would you suggest? How about a nice big slice of cheesecake? I know he likes that. That's perfect. He'll love it. And when it was all wrapped and she had paid, she put on her brightest smile and said, Thank you, Sam. Good night. Uh, good night, Mrs. Maloney. And thank you. And now she told herself as she hurried back. All she was returning home to her husband and, and she was waiting for his supper and she must cook it good and make it as tasty as possible because the poor man was tired. And if when she entered the house, she happened to find anything unusual or tragic or terrible, then naturally it would be a shock and she'd become frantic with grief and horror. Mind you, she wasn't expecting to find anything. She was just going home with the vegetables. Mrs. Patrick Maloney going home with the vegetables on a Thursday evening to cook supper for her husband. That's the way. Do everything right and natural. Keep things absolutely natural and there'll be no need for any acting at all. Therefore, when she entered the kitchen by the back door, she was humming in tune to herself and smiling. Patrick, darling, how are you, darling? When she saw him lying there on the floor with his legs doubled up and one arm twisted back underneath his body, it really was rather a shock. All the old love and long for him welled up inside her and she ran over to him, knelt down beside him and began to cry her heart out. It was easy. No acting was necessary. Quick, come quick, Patrick's dead. Who's speaking? Maloney, Miss Patrick Maloney. You mean Patrick Maloney's good? I, th I think 
so he's he's lying on the floor. I think he's dead. You're right over. The car came very quickly, and when she opened the front door, the two policemen walked in. She knew them both. She knew nearly all the men in the precinct and fell right into Jack Noonan's arms, weeping hysterically. He put her gently into the chair and then went over to join the other two. And one of them was called Mally, O'Malley, kneeling by the body. Is he dead? I'm afraid he is. What happened? Briefly, she told her story about going to the grocer and coming to find him on the floor while she was talking, crying and talking. Noonan discovered a small patch of congealed blood on the dead man's head. He showed it to O'Malley, who got up once and hurried to the phone. Soon, the other men became into the, came into the house. First a doctor, then two detectives, one of whom she knew by name. Later, a police photographer arrived and took pictures, and a man who knew about fingerprints. There was a great deal of whispering and muttering beside the corpse, and the detectives kept asking her a lot of questions. But they always treated her kindly. She told her story again, this time right from the beginning, when Patrick had come in, and she was sewing, and he was tired, so she hadn't wanted to go out for summer supper. She told him how she'd put the meat in the oven. And they're now cooking. And how she'd slipped out to the grocer for vegetables and come back to find him lying on the floor. Which grocer? One of the detectives asked. She told him, and he turned and whispered something to the other, de the other detective who immediately went outside into the street. In 15 minutes, he was back with a page of notes and there was more whispering and through her sobbing, she heard a few of the whispered phrases. That's quite normal, very cheerful. Wanted to give him a good supper. Peas, cheesecake, impossible that she... After a while, the photographer and the doctor departed and the other two men came in and took the corpse away on a stretcher. Then the fingerprint man went away. The two detectives remained and so did the policeman. They were exceptionally nice to her and Jack Noonan asked if she wouldn't rather go somewhere else, to her sister's house perhaps, or to his own wife who would take care of her and put her up for the night. No, I don't even feel as if I can even move a yard at the moment. Would you mind awfully if I stay just where I am until I feel better? I don't feel too good at the moment. Then hadn't you lie down on the bed? No, I'd like to stay right where I am in this chair. A little later, perhaps, when I feel better. So they left her there while they went about their business, searching the house. Occasionally, one of the detectives asked her another question. Sometimes Jack Noonan spoke at her gently as he passed by. Mrs. Maloney, your husband was killed by a blow to the back. It was almost certainly a large piece of metal. The murderer may have taken it with him. On the other hand, he may have thrown it away or hidden it somewhere on the premises. It's the old story, get the weapon and you've got the man. Later, one of the detectives came up and sat beside him. Do you know of anything in the house that could have been used as a weapon? Would you mind having a look around to see if anything is missing? A very big spanner or a heavy metal vase? We don't have any heavy metal vases. Or a big spanner? I don't think we have a big spanner, but there might be some stuff like that in the garage. The search went on. 
She knew that there were other policemen in the garden all around the house. She could hear their footsteps on the gravel outside. It began to get late, nearly nine, she noticed by the clock on the mantel. The four men searching the room seemed to be growing weary, a trifle exasperated. Jack, would you mind being a dear and giving me that drink? Sure, I'll give you a drink. You mean this whiskey? Yes, please, but just a small one. It, it might make me feel better. He handed her the glass. Why don't you have one yourself? You must be awfully tired. You've been very good to me. <laughs> well, it's not strictly allowed, but uh, I might take just a drop to keep me going. One by one, the others came in and were persuaded to take a little nip of whiskey. They stood around rather awkwardly with the drinks in their hands, uncomfortable in her presence, trying to say consoling things to her. Sergeant Noonan wandered into the kitchen, came out quickly and said, Look, Miss Maloney, you know that the oven of yours is still on and the meat is still inside. Oh, dear me, so it is. I'd better turn it off for you, hadn't I? Will you do that, Jack? Thank you so much. When the sergeant returned the second time, she looked at him with her large, dark, tearful eyes. Jack Noonan? Yes? Would you do me a small favor, you and all these others? Oh, well, we can try, Miss Maloney. Well, here you all are, and good friends of dear Patrick's, too. And helping to catch the man who killed him. You must all be so terribly hungry by now because it's so long past your supper time. And I know, I know Patrick would never forgive me. God bless his soul. If I allowed you to remain in his house without offering you decent hospitality, why don't you eat up that lamb that's in the oven? It'll be cooked just right by now. Oh, wouldn't dream of it. Oh, please, please eat it. Personally, I couldn't touch a thing, certainly not when it's been in the house, when he was here. But it's all right for you. It'd be a favor to me if you'd eat it up. Then you can go on with your work again afterwards. There was a good deal of hesitation among the four policemen, but they were clearly hungry. And in the end, they were persuaded to go into the kitchen and help themselves. Mary stayed there where she was, listening to them speaking amongst themselves, their voices thick and sloppy because their mouths were full of meat. Can I have some more, Charlie? No, I better not finish it. She wants us to finish it. She said so. Be doing her a favor. Well, okay then. But give me some more. I've been thinking. That's a hell of a big club the guy must use to hit poor Patrick. The doc says his skull was smashed to all pieces just like a sledgehammer. That's why it ought to be easy to find. Yeah, exactly what I say. Whoever done it, they're not going to be carrying a thing like that around with them longer than they need. Personally, I think it's right here on the premises. Probably right under our very noses. What do you think, Jack? And in the other room, Mary Maloney began to giggle. <laughs>
Ah. Uh-huh. 